0: Thank you, Mark, for reading that. We come to our study in Mark, to Mark chapter 6. We're almost to the end of the passage. And last week, if you were with us, you will remember that we looked at the death of John the Baptist. And we noted the fact that uh, as Christians on mission, we will be called to suffer. And we would note that Christ is worth it all. He's worth suffering for. In the case of John the Baptist, he's worth even losing your head over. He's worth at all. And this is the Christ that we serve, and this is the Christ that we've been studying about. And we come down to this particular portion of Scripture, Mark 6, 30 through 44, to a parable, to, to a story that we would know well as Christ feeding the five thousand. I think it's interesting as you study the Gospels, the four Gospels, uh, there are different past there are different stories, there are different even parables that are mentioned in each of the different gospels and some of them have all of the different stories and parables but really it's not that many. This one, Mark 6, the feeding of the 5000 is in all four gospels. All three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have this feeding of the 5000 following the death of John the Baptist. I think it's very clear the Holy Spirit is seeking to communicate to something up to us this morning. And I'm going to state what I believe is the central theme of this passage from the very beginning. And then we're going to spend the remaining amount of our time fleshing out the reason why I believe this is the central theme. Or you could say the central idea that the Holy Spirit is seeking to communicate to us this morning through the word of Mark six thirty through 44. And here it is. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. The person and work of Jesus Christ is all satisfying for our every need. The person and work of Jesus Christ is all satisfying for our every need. Well, it's a truth that we would all know, but it's a truth that sometimes we don't always see in its great and wonder and beauty and the brilliance of it. The fact that Christ is all satisfying for our every need. But the Holy Spirit has given us this passage to help us see it even better. I've divided this portion of Scripture into three different sections. I think it's well divided that way. We'll see our first uh, section in verse 30 through 32. And then we'll pick up our second section, excuse me, 30 through 33. And then our second section will be 34 uh, all the way down to 36. 36. And then we'll begin to look at the feeding of the 5,000 as a closing. Look, look, look at your Bible there. Put your eyes on the text on verse 30 through 33. I'll read it again. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So we would remember by context that the apostles are out on a mission. And they are, uh, they've been sent by Christ to do the work of Christ as an extension of him by his power and authority. That was found back in Mark 6, 7 through 13. And here they are now returning to Christ and told him all that they had, they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. 30 through 32, excuse me, being our first section. Let me set the scene for you. The apostles have returned to Christ They have uh, done these mighty works. We saw all the way back in verse 13 of chapter six. And they cast out many demons, anointed with oil. Many were sick and healed them. Verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And so they're coming back in a sense as a report. Here's what's happened. Here's where we've been. Here's what we've done. And probably in a sense going, and we're worn out. We're tired. We need some rest. I think it's interesting here. That he says, Christ says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Why should we do that? Well, because there was these people that once they had returned, there was just just probably this gathering about to such an extent that the apostles couldn't even get an opportunity to eat, much less even rest. And so they decided to go away to a desolate place. Well, this word desolate, or your Bible might say secluded, is the Greek word here that is the same word used earlier in Mark that we noted was a theme, that being the theme of wilderness. So there is a need for rest from these, for these apostles after their work of ministry. But it isn't a need for rest at the Western world, how the Western world views rest. When we go off and have a little bit of rest, we're typically doing so to lavish upon ourselves. And our time with God actually, if you're in my life, in my time on a vacation actually gets less than when we're on a normal routine. Christ is not advocating for that kind of rest following ministry. He's instructing them and, and us by way of example that intense and prolonged periods of time ministering to others needs to be fueled by time spent alone with Christ. In essence, they weren't going to a desolate place where there was nothing. They were going to be with Christ. They were going to the wilderness. They were leaving behind these things, and they were going to just devote their attentions to Christ, be recharged, as it were. We, as Christians, find our spiritual rest in Christ. And when our spirit is resting in and rejoicing in the hope and work of Christ, medip- meditating upon his love and care for us, then even our bodies physically will oftentimes be refreshed. The Proverbs tell us that a refreshed spirit carries weary bones, a tired body. I don't know about you, but while preparing uh, this passage, it struck me right uh, between the eyes. That this is so oftentimes why I come back from a vacation more spiritually fatigued than actually rested. It's it's my lack of discipline, it's my sinful laziness on vacation. I spend more time focusing on me than I do upon God. I'm thinking, well, what I really need is to sleep in, to veg out, to just waste time. I need to be refreshed. When actually what God is saying here is your body will be refreshed as your spirit is being refreshed as well. There's times for physical rest. Certainly that's not what Christ is saying, that there's never time for physical rest. He's simply saying that that rest ultimately is found in Christ. We find our rest in Christ. We so often don't find our rest in Christ. When we're fatigued, we, we think, well, we just need some more me time. We need to watch a movie or get away from everyone else, take a walk or whatever it may be. But do we actually go to Christ to find rest for a weary, maybe stressed out soul? Now this wilderness theme here signifies leaving behind what the world says is needed and turning our eyes and reliance upon God. And, and, and certainly due to our, our, our lives, I'm not advocating that you pick up tomorrow morning and you say, listen, no more work for me. I'm not going to call in sick. I'm just not going to show up. I'm going to pack up my bags. I'm going to go to a a desolate place where there's nobody and nothing, and I'm going to spend time alone with God. That's that's not always, that's nowhere near applicable here. But there is a need for us at times to, to be in the wilderness, as it were, to be in a desolate place, or let's say it another way, to be alone with God to recharge and oftentimes, we're so distracted by this stuff that we actually need to leave it and, kind of, and go out. So let's think about some ways we can do that. Well, and we live in a, a very digital age. And so I would encourage you, there's times when you probably just need to unplug, maybe for half a day, maybe for a day, maybe for a couple of days if you're able, or you, where you, or you just minimize the amount of uh, emphasis that you have on that, and you're able to really direct your attention to the Lord. The time you would have maybe have spent reading the sports page, you're spending reading the word of God. For mothers, especially young mothers, it's not difficult to just say, well, kids aren't mine anymore. I'm going to go out to a desert place and do whatever I want to do. No, that's not what he's saying here. He's simply saying there's times where you can just take, you need to take your eyes and you need to focus upon the Lord. And so maybe that's a walk at the end of the day. Or maybe that's a verse of scripture that you pause for a couple minutes and meditate upon before you enter into the morning. Whatever it may be. Finding time, we're able to set aside the busyness here and be refreshed in your spirit by the work and magnificence of Christ. Maybe if you're physically able, take a day or even a couple of days to fast. To, to take a physical fast. That can help you sort of refocus your time on the Lord. Maybe taking some time out of this uh, beautiful fall weather. Take an early morning. Maybe get up before you were going to have to go to work. Go somewhere with your Bible, a hymn book, watch the sunrise come up. Spend a few hours just rejoicing in the wonder and the majesty of what it means to be a Christian, saved by the love of God and through the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ is yours, and you are His as people that have been redeemed. So, how is your soul this morning? Is it restless? Is it needing rest? then go to the, we should then go to the arms of our savior and that's where we will find rest for our soul. Or as Christ says here, come away and rest a while in the work of Christ for you. The person and work of Jesus Christ is all satisfying for our every need. Certainly, that means our spiritual rest and even our physical re-energizing. So if we are to find our rest in Christ, point number two, we're to find our shepherd In Christ. Look at the text with me, verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. As the disciples uh, were about to learn, a wilderness time, a desolate place time, a coming away and resting a while time is less about what you're doing there and more about who are you are with or focusing on, namely Jesus Christ. And so here, all these people had come, we aren't sure which towns the people had come from, but they would end up being a very large crowd. A small a town of that day surrounding the Sea of Galilee may have been two or three thousand people, and here we note Scripture tells us that they're at at least the peak were five thousand men much less women and children. And the boat journey that they'd gone on, wherever they started to wherever they ended, would have been about four miles. And the journey around by foot would have been as much as eight miles. So I could imagine that the apostles, Christ, sitting in this room, trying to get a meal, trying to eat, decide, listen, we need a time of rest. Christ says, come away. They get in a boat, thinking, ah, nice and quiet. It's good. Be able to rest. Maybe Peter and John are rowing the boat, and they look over to shore, and they see one person, and then two, and then five, and then ten, and then a hundred, racing around the shore. And every single time they get to a few people, maybe fishing, maybe working, hey, that's Christ, the one who does all the miracles, and his and his followers. Let's go. And this, this crowd growing and growing and growing and growing. And you can imagine by the time they, they get around to the end, it's just thousands of people teeming in mass to meet up with Christ, exponentially growing. And John, the Gospel of John tells us that the apostles in Christ, uh, upon landing, go up on this mountain. And the people follow them up. And you can imagine sort of sitting on a tall hill and, and just watching these people flood up this green grass to where they are at. The large crowd probably reminding Christ of what had been earlier in his ministry on the Sermon on the Mount. Christ seeing the crowds and responds the same way he saw them there, he responds the same way here, begins to feed them with his word. And I want us to pause for a few minutes and contemplate, consider the compassionate care of our great shepherd, Christ. Notice that's what it says. He looked upon them with compassion. This word compassion in the Greek, has a a deep feeling behind it, a a deep feeling at, at the very core of your being, in the pit of your stomach, as it were, just feeling such empathy and compassion for these people. The compassion of Christ looking at the crowds as helpless sheep, sheep without a shepherd, he says. They have no direction. They have no care. They have no provision. They have no protection. And he feels in the pit of his stomach a loving compassion for them. Something needs to be done for these people. And what glory it is that for us, that Christ has looked upon you and me in our helpless and harassed state and sin and provided himself as the perfect lamb in order that we might be in his flock, that he might be for us our good shepherd, taking on the form of sheep, that we could then be a part of The good shepherd who is our perfect shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, that is yours. That, that in many ways is, is Christ fulfilling Psalm 23 here in Mark 6. Christ looking upon them. And for us, the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord has looked and does even look now upon us in love and compassion feeling deeply in his care for you this picture here in mark of christ as the shepherd isn't simply isolated to chapter 6 of mark as if it was just dropped in as some idea in the middle of the bible oh no it's a, it's a picture that is actually throughout the scriptures and in many ways this is a culmination of passage after passage after passage of scripture pointing toward christ That would be to come and is even now coming here, who would be both the sacrificial lamb and the good shepherd. And no need for you to turn to these passages, but let me just set the stage for you in that. Numbers 27. You might jot this down in your notes. Numbers 27, 15 through 17. Moses here, speaking to the Lord, saying, let the Lord... The God of the spirits of all flesh appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Moses asking the Lord to provide a shepherd for his people. But that's not the end of Numbers 27. Very next verse. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, A man in whom is the Spirit, lay your hand on him. Joshua in the Septuagint, meaning Jesus. Joshua, a a type here, a picture, a foretelling of the coming of Christ as the perfect shepherd. All the way back in Moses. I just read from Psalm 23, here Christ fulfilling the glorious Psalm of David. You might jot in your notes Ezekiel 34. 1 through 6, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. God here rebuking the shepherds of Israel for their lack of care for the people. And setting forward the day when there would be a perfect shepherd. And notice, it's a shepherd here in Ezekiel. A shepherd in the wilderness. And here in Mark 6 is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Christ in the wilderness shepherding these sheep. This Christ as the shepherd here in Mark 6 isn't simply by coincidence. It is your Christ the one set forward by God from whom before time began as the focus of all of history. Now notice how Christ feeds the sheep and why we preach the word on every Sunday morning. He feeds the sheep with the word. He begins to teach them many things, the word says. And this word is all sufficient for our souls' every need because it's the word of God. It's the teachings of Christ. John 10, 1-4 Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse 14 of John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Can I ask you this morning, do you know the voice of Christ, the good shepherd? Do you know the voice of Christ, the good shepherd? Has he called you to himself? Have you answered that call in full trust upon him for salvation and turned from sin as a response of love to that trust? John 10, 11 tells us that Christ is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And if you do not know Christ this morning, you can know him this morning. Why? Why can you know him this morning? Because he has done all the work needed to save you. He looked upon you in love, with deep compassion, and in obedience to his Father God, came to earth, laid down his life that you might have life, became a sheep that you could be a son the son became a sheep that you may no longer now just simply be a sheep, but you are a son of a living God, daughters of the king. He died in perfection in order that the wrath of God justly meant for you and me as sinners would be laid upon him. He was the perfect sheep and thus is the perfect shepherd. And he is the perfect shepherd because after dying he did not remain dead but three days following his death was raised to life and again thus proclaiming to the world that his death was deemed sufficient by God as a payment for our sins. So if you cry out, if you do not know the voice of Christ as your shepherd, if you will but cry out to God today for saving grace and put your trust in Christ alone as a means of salvation from your sin against God, then you will be saved and Christ the good shepherd will be yours and his love and care and compassion that is perfect will be yours to experience. The person and work of Jesus Christ is all satisfying for our every need and we need a shepherd and he is our good shepherd. Let us repent of any sin that rebels against his shepherding of our soul. Let us be sheep that are completely submitted to the shepherd as, we perfectly, as he is perfectly submitted to the Father. As I was studying this passage, I made the remark that after seeing the wonder of Christ as our shepherd, as seeing, after seeing the wonder of, of resting in Christ at the beginning of this passage, I don't think we can look at the feeding of the 5,000 in the same way. You can't just take that story and pluck it out because it's set up by Christ as our shepherd and Christ as our, as our meeting our every need physically and spiritually. And so you almost, you think back to the, or I do think back to those Sunday school days when you hear this great story of Christ feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and you almost think, there's so much more. Because really this feeding of the 5,000 is just a continuation of Christ not only feeding them spiritually through his word, but now feeding them physically. And certainly the, the miracle is a wonder of God's power, of Christ's power. And I'm, but, I, but I'm sure that you would see that it's not, the miracle is not meant to be the focus. It's the one who did the miracle who is to be our focus. The feeding is, is simply a continuation of his shepherding. Look with me at the text, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And he said to them, they said to them shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat and they said to him how many loaves do you have go and see when they found out they said five and two fish then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass so they sat down in groups by hundreds by fifties taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven said a blessing broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Third point. We find our full and complete satisfaction in Christ. We find our full and complete satisfaction in Christ. Notice the way that the disciples viewed this desolate place. It was certainly much different than Christ did. They're thinking, we're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no hope for us out here. The crowds have gathered quickly and in their haste, nothing had been planned for a meal. And so the disciples encouraged Christ to send away the people to the nearest towns to get something to eat. And if there was ever a miraculous work of Christ, certainly in the gospel of Mark, that was set up by Christ, this one is it. Setting the stage in many ways to show his glory and his power. As the perfect shepherd, he's carefully crafting the scene and the circumstances all for the purpose of displaying, notice, not to the 5,000, but to the 12, to the disciples, his messianic power and glory. He tells the apostles, the disciples, you give them something. And the disciples had just come off a training mission. They had done miraculous works in the name of Christ. And And it appears that they've checked out of mission mode. A proper response to Christ might have been something to this effect. Lord, would you not have the ability to feed all these people? There's at least 5,000 men. But you, as the one who has the power over the sea, you as the one who has the power over the wind, the unclean spirits, the sick, the paralyzed, you have all the power, so you command it, and it's going to be done. And that's not how they respond. In fact, they respond almost with a hint of sarcasm. You really want us to just go out, drum up two-thirds, a half a year's wages, and buy a bunch of bread for these people? Really? We're in a desolate place. Really? I don't know about you, but I think we can probably all see ourselves in the disciples. We're so quick to forget God's amazing grace in our lives yesterday or even a few hours ago and we're faced now with a current impossibility, and we declare it nope, this one's hopeless. Can't do this one. Christ testing the disciples, as he so often tests us in his love, setting the scene. They respond with sarcasm, something effective it's just us, all these people. Oh, and you, Jesus. That's all that's needed, really, isn't it? Jesus is there. And Christ, just to make sure that everyone knows that what is about to happen is impossible, is hopeless in man's eyes, but seeking to convey the truth that Christ in Christ, this is possible and all hope is in fact in Christ, the Son of God is here and able, fully able to meet the need, he sticks with their sarcastic request, and he has them tally the amount of bread. John's gospel tells us there were five barley loaves and two fish. A poor man's meal, as it were. A simple meal. A simple meal, as John's gospel tells us, offered by a little boy found by the apostle Andrew. But a meal that in the hands of God, blessed by the Son of God, would multiply exponentially. Christ has the apostles in the spirit of Psalm 23, verse 2, have the people be seated on green grass. In groups of 50 and 100, hearkening back to Exodus, where Jethro came to Moses and said, we need to divide these people up so that we can manage them better. Divide them up in, in, in groups of 50 and 100 and more. And upon breaking the bread and dividing the two fish, Christ proceeds to do the impossible and feed them all until they were not only full, they were satisfied. And yet more was still remaining. Twelve baskets full of broken pieces and The fish. Psalm 145 verse 16. Open Christ. God opens his hand. And satisfies the desire. Of every living thing. Consider a few points of application here. Before we close. Christ delights. To take the seemingly insignificant. And make it significant. A poor man's meal. Five loaves. Two fish. As we are on mission for Christ, let us be fully surrendered to him, willing to let him use whatever we may have for his service and glory. Are we we willing on mission for Christ to surrender all of our life, no matter how seemingly insignificant to his hand? And we think, I can't surrender all my life because there's not much good I have to surrender. I'm going through a hard time. This church is going through a tough time. And we ask, well, We want to surrender our talents. We want to surrender our joy. But what about if we don't have that right now? Elizabeth Elliot helps us in this. If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. Realize that nothing I have, nothing I am, will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him. As the little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two small fishes, with the same feeling of the disciples when they said, what is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer to Christ, my reaction would be, what good is that? The point is, the use he makes of it is none of my business. It is his business. It is his blessing, close quote. Let us offer to him whatever we may have. Number two, if Christ can multiply so little to so much, what can he not do for you? What is it? Are you doubting Christ? Are you doubting Christ is all satisfying? Then go to him and confess your need to see his mighty work for you afresh. Are you doubting his ability to provide a way or a means from a seemingly impossible situation? Then go to him. He's our friend in weakness. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let me close this study with a final thought on the loaves mentioned here in Mark 6. If you, if you, when you, This afternoon, if you will, go back and read Mark 6 and notice Christ calls them to go find how many loaves. And they come back and say five loaves and two fish. And from that point on, in this passage of Mark 6, they're always separated. We would have written it as if, and Christ took The food that was available and broke it, blessed it, and sent it out to the people. But he continually says bread and the fish. All the way to the point at the end of Mark 6 when even the disciples after the walking on the water don't realize the significance of, Christ says, Mark says, the bread. The fish are a byproduct. The fish are an aspect of God's grace and adding. But it's the loaves that that are the central part of this story. The loaves hold the importance. You see, these 5,000 men that are represented here, and certainly more than that, represent in many ways Israel. We're going back in many ways, all the way back to the Old Testament. Israel being ministered to and cared for by Christ in the Old Testament. They were fed spiritually. They were fed physically. In the exodus of Egypt, God provided for them the Passover meal as a is a picture of Christ that is to come. Here in Mark we're told that this is this feeding of the 5000 is just before the Passover and here Christ provides for them a meal. The reason that the loaves hold central importance is because of John 6:35. Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst." Christ is the the new covenant manna that was The manna in Exodus 16 that comes down from heaven and here Christ on earth looking up to heaven as he blesses and breaks this bread as the the ability to satisfy all these people's needs. He is the manna on earth. He came for us to satisfy us for us when we could not be satisfied. We are unable to be satisfied in our sin and yet Christ came as manna from heaven down to earth for us. And we have been filled as believers with Christ. Colossians 2, 9 through 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And here we will celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes. And what do we say? His body broken for us. Here in Mark 6, taking the loaves, breaking them as a significance, as a pointing toward the fact that his body was about to be broken on our behalf. And then there would be plenty. There's more than enough to satisfy me and you. There's, there's plenty, there's leftovers of Christ. There's never an end to the satisfaction of Christ. 12 baskets picked up. Are you satisfied with Christ this morning? The satisfaction of Christ is more than enough. There is enough of Christ for your every need. Let me close with this passage, Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. Mark 6 being the fulfillment of this prophecy. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, In his salvation. Father, you are our God, and we behold you in this passage. That you have set forth Christ as not only propitiation of our, for our sin, but you have set him forth as the all satisfying worth, glory, and need. He satisfies every one of our needs. There's nothing that Christ does not satisfy. Thank you, Father, for this picture of bread. Thank you for this picture of a shepherd. Thank you for this picture of rest. And all of those being found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thank you that He is our Christ, that You have given Him to us. We rejoice in that. Father, as we come to the table now to celebrate together the fact that your body was broken on our behalf. Oh, Father, encourage our souls with the wonder yet again of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in the precious name of our Savior. Amen.